Brian, did you just go quiet? Brian just went quiet. Brian. <laughs> well, I just lost Brian. I can't hear him. Alex, can I hear you? Uh, I'm talking. All right. <laughs> I think, is Brian muted? I I guess he is. What a way yeah. this, this is a very professional podcast here. Uh, but <laughs> welcome to MGO Radio 8.11, I think it is, because we're always one behind because we start on zero. Um, while we get Brian back in again, uh, this is going to be the Ohio State preview. Is that the game we're on? Am I uh, now audible? Yes. <laughs> You're now audible. Welcome to MGO Radio whatever point whatever. God damn it. <laughs> I'm glad you joined us, had, Brian. We were, we were just getting into Iowa-Nebraska. <laughs> I I have had two beers because the Big Ten just – not the Big Ten. The World Cup just – England is bad. It was what well, was good, but it was nervous. I'm very nervous. Just sort of generally in my life, this is a very nerve-wracking two days. Anyway, Seth, say something about the goddamn sponsors. <laughs> You're the one that's the list. The no, <laughs> no, no, no. You do it this time. You slandered me in the last podcast. You do it, Mr. Marblemouth. All right. Well, let's thank Underground Printing for one. They have a Black Friday sale, a 20% off sale going today. So check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com. Use the code BF22. Or check out our selection of shirts at MGOblog.store.com. Or, yeah, MGOblogStore.com. Sorry. Let's not forget our ah! associate sponsors. No, they can hear me. They can list, listen. I'm enunciating, Brian. Let's not forget uh-huh. our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Home Shore Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by Forum, and we're recording this on Signal Wire. Now you can just say, All ah. right. Ah! Ah! <laughs> so, Football Armageddon 2 is this weekend. What determines football Armageddon is if Michigan or Ohio State are undefeated going into the game, nothing else matters. That is true. 11-0 versus 11-0. And Ohio State is a a 7.5-point favorite. Michigan and Ohio State have various banged-up players who may or may not play. And everybody doesn't really know what to expect because you go into this game and it looks like Ohio State has a much superior passing game. But it also looks like the inverse is true for the ground games. Next segment, we will be talking about the bad stuff, which is the Ohio State offense versus the Michigan defense. And you go and look at the stats and you discard the Northwestern game. And there's two, maybe three opponents that Ohio State has played all year who they have not nuked in the air. And those are Rutgers and Notre Dame and Maryland. And Maryland is debatable. Eight yards in attempt, pretty good. Rutgers is actually probably a very good pass defense. Michigan doesn't actually know if it is yet because they haven't played anybody. So going into this game, you're like, we've got the players, have a very good defense, number one nationally in some regards. But then you go back, the Don Brown game. Michigan enters the number one defense in the goddamn nation, and Ohio State puts up 700 million yards of offense. And so naturally, that infiltrates your thinking. Now, this isn't the same deal because that was Michigan putting in a defense that's good for JT Barrett and getting Dwayne Haskins. This game, 
is Michigan installing a defense designed to stop Ohio State, and they just don't know if it's any good because the best quarterback they've played is Sean Clifford. So I have no idea what's going to happen. Alex, do you have any idea what's going to happen? Um, not. I, I will say one thing before we get into the Ohio State offense, really, just about the Michigan defense. It's interesting, you know, with the high SP plus rating, it doesn't feel like Michigan is the number one defense. You're right. Like you think back about 2018 and 2016, and we were all like, yeah, like we're great on defense. We've got all these players, Winovich and Gary, and our two corners are awesome, and we've got the best linebacker and blah, blah, blah. This defense, it just doesn't have any guys like that, right, that make us uh, foam at the mouth and excitement over them. Yet their results have been fantastic this year. But now comes the ultimate test, and there is no offense like Ohio State's in the Big Ten. It's just this is a different animal all in and of itself. And it starts with the quarterback play, where you have a very, very good quarterback, um, C.J. Stroud, I think most fans listening have an opinion on him because they've seen him a lot. He's been around, but a very accurate passer and and the pressure caveat supply, which we'll get into in a moment. But for the most part, a good arm sees the field pretty well, very accurate, a really good player and someone who is going to be drafted extremely, extremely highly, perhaps number one overall, if the Texans decide that's their guy. So we'll see how that that goes. But he is what differentiates Ohio State from all these other teams because all these other teams don't have first-round quarterbacks. And the Big Ten quarterback play this season has been wretched, to put it kindly. And Abysmal! Yes. And uh, Stroud is a lot better than that. So it, it kind of starts, starts from there. And then you add in the wide receiver talent, which is not as good as last year. Let's just get that out of the way. Um they had last season three wide receivers who all of them individually would be top of the scouting report players. You had Smith and Jigba, who was amazing last season, and then two guys in Olave and Wilson who went in the first round, and they're tearing up the NFL. Like They're both awesome in the NFL this season. And when you look at this wide receiver room, it's not quite there right now. You have one guy who is definitely of that caliber, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. He's tall. He's leapy. He's a contested catch artisan. Um, just does things with his body that you should not be able to do at that size. The body control, that that catch I clipped from the Indiana game where he is like parallel to the ground with his back and then he just sticks his foot out at a 90-degree angle and taps. It's unbelievable stuff. The thing is, besides him, there isn't a guy right now who's going to go in the first round. Now, we have a question about one Jackson Smith and Jigba. He... Assuming he declares for the draft, will be a first-rounder. Problem is, he's basically not played the whole season. He played a little bit against Notre Dame, got injured, came back briefly against Toledo, then sat out a month, then came back against Iowa, then sat out another month, and here we are. And I don't know if you guys have done any of the insider digging. What I've read is the vibes are not great on that front. Maybe he'll suit up, but the idea that he will suit up and be Jackson Smith and Jigba 2021 seems a little unlikely. Yeah, the vibes are kind yeah, of like I mean, the quorum vibes. No, they are not like the quorum vibes. Yeah, they're worse than the quorum vibes. They are say. much worse than the quorum vibes because he's clearly got some sort of muscle injury, some sort of hamstring thing that as soon as he tries to do anything with it, he re-injures it. What quorum has is probably a very bad knee bruise mm-hmm. that they are just going to inject him with every horse tranquilizer known to man <laughs> and put him on the field. JSN is not likely to be able to go and if he is be able to go what won't be the problem is pain 
basically the problem is that he just doesn't have the explosion that he had a year ago. Right? Yeah, so, I I saw him when he came back against Iowa, and he was not getting separation from Iowa's corners, which that is not Jackson Smith and Jigba. Right, isn't isn't like the most ringing condemnation of of, but no. for him to come on the field and give it a go and then shut it down for another month, it just seems like if he was pretty close, he would have played against Maryland, right? Just to knock off some of the rust. Yeah, and my point about the Iowa thing is that I always got a great secondary, but like their corners are not going to set the combine record for the three cone time or whatever, right? Like, they, no, it's true. And when JSN is firing on all cylinders, he's going to leave those guys in the dust. So we don't know what's going on there. And if he isn't fully a hundred percent, then that again is you kind of have one guy you have to focus on in Harrison jr. And then everyone else is varying levels of good, but not, uh, in the first round of the draft. So Emeka Egbuka, really fast, dangerous receiver, not quite at that level yet. No, he, he has issues, right? So he's dropped a number of balls. There's other balls where it's not quite something you would consider a drop, but it's like, maybe if he was what he was supposed to be as a five-star, he would, he would bring that in. So he's, he's fine. He's good. He's solid. He's not a game breaker. Right. And Julian Fleming, I think, is even worse than than Egbuga. So it's just a, di- a little bit different than last season in that regard. And it's why Ohio State's offense is worse this year. Not, I mean, it's still a great unit, but <laughs> I was looking at the numbers again. Last season, they entered uh, the game against Michigan averaging 560 yards per game on offense. This year, it's at about 450. So still really, really good. But last season was something that... <laughs> mortals had never seen on earth and we were having to look at that whereas this year it's still a really good offense but they're fourth in sp plus uh, behind i believe usc ucla and tennessee so there are there are some vulnerabilities compared to last year and it starts with just a drop off in the wide receiver room from maybe the best wide receiver room we've ever seen to eh, still really good and that's kind of the difference now uh the passing game the uh, pressure Generally speaking, not a lot there because they have good pass blockers. Uh, Dewan Jones is back at right tackle. He had some issues against Michigan last year, but again, high quality of competition in that game. Paris Johnson Jr. at left tackle. He is a guy getting some first-round NFL buzz. I don't know how much of that is recruiting status and measurables and actual play, but generally speaking, he's done great this season. So. Uh, you know, good news there. And their guards are more tackles than guards in terms of being pass protecting first. So they keep Stroud clean uh, quite a bit. And I don't know if we want to go into the pressure component right now, but what I'll say is um, Michigan is not alone. And so when we've watched teams like Penn State and even Maryland last week hold this offense to 400, 450 yards, I think Iowa held them to 360. Those three teams are not uh, measurably different in terms of pass rush organically than Michigan is. This is a bad year for edge rushers in the Big Ten. Like, sure. I've gone through this season. There is not an Arnold Ebikete out there, right? Like, there isn't um, – what was that guy at, at Iowa? Epinesa a few years ago? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, that might be because Van Ness is now getting some pretty serious He's height. He's coming on. They figured out he's their best lineman, like I said. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, like, it's it's – the thing is, I've watched teams go up against Ohio State, and it's not like they were slowing down Ohio State through organic pass rush. And now that's bad because Michigan can't do that. All of these teams got not a lick 
of organic pass rush against Ohio State. All of them had to blitz. And so there is a lot on film of different strategies teams have tried to slow them down. We've seen some teams go with the seven-man pressure, just the all-out blitz. Um, I clipped that against Penn State. Penn State paired it with, with stapling their DBs quite a bit downfield, which didn't make a ton of sense because if Stroud got the ball out accurately, it was a first down, and they do it on third and ten, but put the DBs behind the sticks. Oh, and, God, yeah. The, the, the defense that Manny Diaz cooked up for that game was transparently insane. It was very bizarre what was going on there, whereas Shiano put his corners in press man and said, you know, good luck. We're sending seven. <laughs> Hope you don't bust. And it worked a number of times. So that I think is a, it's a riskier scenario. Yes, but you got to play to win. So that's one option. Other teams just frequently dialing up five, six, you know, man pressures, this play, it's the linebacker, this play, it's the safety, this play, it's the corner. You got to throw the whole kitchen sink out here because these are NFL caliber pass blockers and you don't have NFL caliber pass rushers and nobody in the big 10 really did this season besides maybe Van Ness. And and again, they don't use him properly. Um, Michigan is going to have to do what all these other teams did and throw blitzes out there. And the good news is there are some teams that have gotten home at times and have shown the ability to use those blitzes to get off the field. But you have to pair that with stopping the run, stopping the run puts you in positions to dial up the blitzes on third and longs. It gives you that opportunity. Let's talk about that. Michigan is not the only team entering this game with a banged up running back room. Mayan Williams left the Indiana game on a cart two weeks ago, did not play against Maryland. Trevion Henderson has been in and out of lineup, played against Maryland, 11 carries, 19 yards, and the universal disgust of Ohio State coach Twitter hmm. for bouncing a bunch of stuff that was insane. Uh, Dallin Hay- Hay- uh, Hayden. A true freshman ranked just inside the three, three number 300 on the composite comes in. And what he does is he follows his blocks, and that gets him 150 yards and change. And, you know, everybody is going to be on hand for this game, but it kind of feels like the path from I got carted off two weeks ago to I'm effective against Michigan is a pretty, pretty narrow route for Mayan Williams. Trevion Henderson, I don't know exactly what's going on with him, but it seems like everybody in Ohio state is like, we're moving on from this guy. Cause what he does is he runs straight in a fast line. He doesn't do anything else. He, I so, mean, he's, he's a feet guy. He's like, he's got incredible feet and that's what they were so excited about with him. But last year, I mean, he was, he was gangbusters, right? Like he was a, he was really hard to bring down in the, in the open field. He was, um, you know, you had to corral him and bring to get him down. If he loses a little bit of that foot speed though, and maybe that's, part of the injury that's like you, you've taken away a superpower so well so if you look at their last four games Trevion you know, henderson does nothing against maryland he doesn't play in the northwestern game mine williams grinds out 4.3 yards a carry and then the game before that against penn state they do nothing the whole game until they get a 41 yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter they still get under 100 r- rushing yards and Michigan is currently the best rushing defense in the Big Ten by 0.3 yards per carry. Haven't played Ohio State. That's a factor. Mm. But if Mike Morris plays in this game, uh, which all indications are he will, that puts up the best rushing defense in the Big Ten against a team that's struggling, I think you can say, to move the ball on the ground. Yeah, and I think you look at a couple defenses that played Ohio State and how they did. Iowa held them to 2.7 yards per carry, and their running backs. 
And that's kind of notable because Michigan was running for about four yards per carry against Iowa. Then you look at Penn State. They held uh, Ohio State's running backs to officially it was, uh, I think, four point something, four point seven maybe. But there was a 40 yarder in there. And if you strip that one play out, it drops well under three. And if you watch the feel of the game, it was not consistent down to down. And, like, and e- even if you get that 41 yard run that changes your yards per carry. I mean, you'd much rather be grinding out four yeah. or five yards per carry without the long one because the long one's an outlier. And down to down, that's why they struggled so much against Penn State's defense. Right, and it's notable. What do we know about Penn State's rush defense? Well, when they played Michigan, didn't go very well. So point being, these are rush defenses in Iowa and Penn State that we saw Michigan's OL have pretty consistent success against, and Ohio State did not have pretty consistent success against. So that poor 10's reason to believe that Michigan can stop this rushing game. And you look at those guards, um, they're not really maulers. I mean, Donovan Jackson, I believe, was a tackle as a recruit, but people have told me he's a more natural guard. I don't really know exactly. Matthew Jones at right guard, we should note, uh, there's an injury situation, I believe, going on with him. He left the game uh, against Maryland with a situation, so I don't know if he's healthy. Uh, one thing I want to note on the injury front, Travion Anderson was seen in a walking boot in the second half of the Maryland game. So I uh, don't know exactly what that means, but uh, not great. So point being, if it is Dallin Hayden, I feel pretty good about Michigan's ability to stop the run against this team because of what has been shown on the schedule, what this team uh, trying to do. I mean, you look at Ohio State. Third and one and fourth and one, this team throws the football. Like They do not trust their ability to grind out yards of a loaded box and a rushing down. They got stoned several times against Northwestern, and generally speaking, their preferred play in those situations is a Stroud rollout, where you hope to get Harrison underneath. And Northwestern is the worst rush defense in the Big Ten. <laughs> and they were, I mean, they were operating in a situation where you know, the passing is basically off. But can you imagine Michigan going up against the worst rush defense in the Big Ten in 30-mile-per-hour wins and not just grinding them off the ball on third one? You cannot. Right. So, well, I think there is... I'm sorry, sorry. go ahead. I think there is something to the idea that the interior of this offensive line is very good at pass blocking, but doesn't really move people one-on-one. And what Michigan I think needs to do to survive in this game is to win that three on two matchup consistently. Chris Jenkins, Mozzie Smith, they're going to have three blockers to your two guys and whoever isn't single blocked needs to win. Who hasn't, whoever isn't doubled, sorry, needs to win that because you need a, you need an extra guy to defend the Ohio state passing game. So where do you get that from? It's got to be the two defensive tackles against, against the ground game. Yeah. 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 I mean, we got to talk about the matchup itself because Michigan's tackles are the best in the conference. Um, and I mean, can Jenkins and Smith and and Mason Graham hold up to like Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson and Luke Weipler? Like, it's, I think so. Like, the, they've held up to tougher things. The way you, the way teams have been able to crack Michigan's rush defense at all this year is when you can get to the linebackers, right? Like, can you double yeah. Mozzie Smith off? Can you pull guys around and get uh, and, and kick guys out far enough to get to the linebackers? Because the linebackers really want to sit back and defend the pass. They're susceptible to RPO. They're, you know, they're that's that's always just been how you got to, you know, how you move the ball in Michigan. I don't think that this 
offense is designed or um, can, like has the ability to get to, to to push those guys off the ball. Well, and if you look at the Illinois game, those guys are rough and tumble, you know. Yeah, and they had extra tight ends in a lot. They had the Michigan approach. Ohio State just doesn't do that. They don't run a lot of gap. They run a lot of inside and outside zone. And they never bring in a second tight end, except in very limited situations. So you're looking at a six-man front. You're looking at a situation where a quarterback does not really carry the ball, although he will in this game, mm-hmm. guaranteed. Yep. But that's that's still something where you're trying to be something that you're really not. And Michigan is going to have an opportunity to go at a rushing offense that doesn't have the level of sophistication that either Michigan or Illinois does. And so like, where are the gotcha plays in the Ohio state ground game? I'm not saying there's not going to be two, three, but it just kind of feels like, you know, this is how they played all year. This is how they're likely to play against Michigan. And I think that bluff read that CJ Stroud had against Northwestern that goes for 44 yards is probably something they wanted to keep in the tank for Michigan because it's something they probably only installed right. because Michigan <laughs> runs it. Right. When it and comes out in the third quarter because they're in a game with Northwestern and all of a sudden need a 40 yard play and like, and oh, what were they, what were they doing all Northwestern week? They were prepping for Michigan. <laughs> so they had run this a bunch in practice and they're like, well, we got to put it on film because we're in a game against the Wildcats. So I think, Stroud's going to be a factor, but other than Stroud being a factor, it's kind of hard to envision what the like July drive version of the Ohio State rushing offense is that's going to work against Michigan's front. I mean, yeah, I, I want to throw. Be, I'm sorry, I, I just imagine it'd be like Jets and stuff like that, like use the speed of the receivers or something. That's actually a pretty good shout. Like, I mean, and Michigan they do that. Seen those. Yeah, they do that a little bit. They do that with Harrison. They threw a lot of wide receiver screens against Penn State, and they went horribly. And I remember watching that game, and the Ohio State bloggers are just screaming at Ryan Day on Twitter in the second half because he just kept calling them, and their wide receivers are not blockers. And they were getting just lit up every time, and they were lighting downs on fire. So maybe they go back to that to get some free yards. I'm not exactly sure, but I did want to toss out a couple notes on the tight ends because you mentioned occasionally two tight ends. When they go to two tight ends, they generally use Mitch Rossi, who's really a fullback, 6'1", 250. He's the, he's the second tight end they bring on. The first one is Cade Stover, and he merits a little bit of discussion in the passing game because last season, you recall, they had Jeremy Ruckert as tight end. He was a high, high-level recruit, a guy Michigan was in on once upon a time. And they taught him to block and then just never used him in the passing game, like ever. He had 13 catches all of last year. This year... Uh, Cade Stover, 31 catches. So they've greatly increased the use of the tight end in the passing game, and that's something that wasn't on the scouting report this year and has to be. Stover is not Noah Fant. He's not going to be a future flex NFL tight end who's burning down the seam. He's kind of big and chunky and a little bit of a lumbering runner once he gets going. But in the absence of Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was so good at creating that space underneath for five yards and then going after a catch... Stover's kind of become that. He's become kind of the check down Charlie option for uh, CJ Stroud. So uh, I would keep an eye on that and how Michigan decides to defend that and how much they place priority on that 
but it is something that was not the case last year that we do have to keep in mind for this matchup. Yeah, I think that part of that is the blitzing. Like, you know, a lot of teams, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, that like that's the way that you attack Ohio State is, you know, we're not going to get natural pass rush, so let's just blitz. And, you know, they would much rather, and this is very different than most of the Big Ten teams we've faced this year because we've just seen teams like, okay, we'll leave two tight ends and a running back in and like, okay, let you know, we'll have three guys in the route and just chuck it up in the air to them. Ohio State wants to get more guys in the route if they can. They want to get the running back out there. They want to get the tight end out there. And if you're blitzing, they want to get the ball out of the backfield quickly. So I think that's been part of that. Like you said, Jackson Smith, the Jigba was probably the, you know, the hot read every single time last year. And because of the other receivers, you want them running more dangerous routes. You're not really wasting them on, you know, quick slants and stuff like that. So Stover's been the guy to kind of receive that when, uh, you know, Trevian Henderson's not been the guy. Mayan Williams is not that big of a pass threat, you know, kind of a short guy. So I think that's where that's coming from. Yeah, so for Michigan, the keys are do what Penn State did to the Ohio State ground game. Hold up on the defensive line with your front six don't have to add extra guys to the box and then get them in passing downs and then send the kitchen sink at them and live with what the consequences are. I think, you know, the clearest example of what the kind of things you need to do against your Ohio state defenses comes from the Iowa game. I got put in horrible positions over and over again by their offense. And they were able to keep Ohio state out of the end zone on four or five drives that started in Iowa territory. And what they did is they were insanely aggressive. They played a ton of zero coverage. They didn't sit back in their cover two cell shell. They were just like, we're not going to get picked apart by CJ Stroud sitting there with no pressure. We are going to come after these guys. And if they'd been playing against any other offense in America, that would have been a game, but they're playing against the Iowa offense. So it was just, a slight delay of execution. And I think that's just the way you got to play it. Like you got to just chalk up 150 receiving yards for Marvin Harrison Jr. And I, you gotta be I'm like, not ready to do that. I, cause no, we, this you, has you been, just got to. But this matchup last year had, had, you know, Vincent Gray, so you had to play him off. You know, when we got torched in 2018, it was like, you know, Brandon Watson. Like Michigan's cornerback talent is uh, better I'm, in this I'm, game I'm not, than it's been in a long time. I'm not saying that you play off and, and, and just let people hit it or anything. What I'm saying is that those 150 yards are going to come on three plays. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, they're going to hit Turner over the top one time. He's going to be there contesting. It's not going to matter. Right, and, and like Michigan's receive, cornerbacks are good about staying in contact and they've had problems making plays on the ball when they're there. Mm-hmm. All right, I mean, if, if they're going to make huge contested catches, fine. But can't just sit back and let Stroud be comfortable. And I think the, I mean, you got to mix stuff up. You got to alternate man and zone. You got to drop seven sometimes, hopefully not eight, (laughs) (laughs) but, but the default approach needs to be like, we need to get CJ Stroud thrown off his back foot, have him uncomfortable, have him get a little rattled. Cause we do see CJ Stroud in certain games, just get on tilt Mm -hmm. and, if you don't get C.J. Stroud on tilt, I don't think you win this game. Yeah, I want to throw one more thing out there about that Iowa game you talked about. And this is something Jamie has been banging the drum on on the podcast on Sunday. But you cannot give this offense a short field. And I was just screaming at the TV about these various teams that have played them. Penn State, Maryland, and Iowa 
all these teams put up solid defensive efforts at times in those games, but did themselves in for a chance to win because each of the three gave up a defensive touchdown. Each of the three gave up another touchdown in which the Ohio State offense got to start, I believe, inside the 20 or the 25. And the Iowa game in particular was just, <laughs> uh, let's just call it a humiliating uh, self-immolation there. This is, this is uh, way six, too much Iowa football taught on this six, podcast. I know they're literally six, playing while we record it, but... <laughs> it's six Ohio State drives started inside the 40. And so you just can't do that. And Jamie's been talking about how Ohio State's had a bit of trouble in the second half of the season stringing together the 80-yard touchdown drives, that they've been doing a lot of their work on shorter drives with shorter fields, and that their touchdown rate on drives starting on their own half is not actually that great recently. you got to win the field position battle here. You can't give them short fields. You can't give them defensive touchdowns to pad their, their point total. Are you saying that punting is winning? Punting plays a role. I mean, if Maryland, if Maryland hadn't let that punt get blocked at the start of the second half last week, they might have won. Or, or chucked the craziest interception uh, in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. We are going to take a break after a half hour of half of a preview and talk about the other side of the ball. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. 
It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for return lessees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. Welcome back to Vimgo Radio Spoon.goat. We are previewing the Ohio State game. We have talked about the bad part. Now we get to talk about the injury part. So Michigan's offense versus the Ohio State defense. We don't know about Blake Corp. We don't know about Donovan Edwards. We don't know about Luce Goodmaker. We don't know about uh, Trevor, Trevor Keegan. Keegan. We don't entirely know about Trent A. Jones. But everybody's on the plane. We know that much. We know that... Josh Henschke at Rivals posted a pretty encouraging note about how people were practicing. I don't want to go too much into it. Go subscribe to Rivals now that Chris Bayless is gone. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to preview this like Blake Corum is available because we don't preview fucked, Seth. I I mean, with Edwards, I think you could, you could still pull this off. No, we don't preview fucked, Seth. That's let's, it. Let's, not, let's talk about Blake Corum. Winning the Heisman okay. in this game. How does this happen? So, Ohio State is much improved on defense this year after importing Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. Jim Knowles is a competent defensive coordinator, which means he is not Kerry Coombs. Mm-hmm. Jim Knowles is also a Big 12 defensive coordinator, which means he has a three-safety system that they rarely deviate from. So, they have a front four. They have some big guys, some talented guys on the defensive line. They have a couple of linebackers who are coming along and then they have three safeties who rotate in and out of the box. Disguise is the name of the game. Don't want to deviate from that. You know, you go in that Wisconsin game and it's hard to figure this out because it's 28, nothing immediately. <laughs> but when Wisconsin goes heavy, they really don't want to add that third defensive tackle in. They do occasionally in short yardage, but they want to do is they want to sit in their base and they want to win from their base. And I kind of think that if Ohio State does do that against Michigan, that is a mistake, and Michigan will be able to grind it up on them. Because Alex, you went over all their defensive tackles, and they're just guys for the most part, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I want to say one thing about that base alignment. There was uh, various Ohio State people in the comments, but they did alert me to the fact that um, rather than going with three DTs when they wanted to go heavy against Wisconsin, more commonly they'd left a safety for a third linebacker, Cody Simon, rather than beefing up the front. So that's just something to keep an eye on. That's, um, but so I think that's an important distinction based on what Michigan has done. Correct. This year. Correct. So Illinois was the most effective rush defense against Michigan because they have three defensive tackles, essentially that they play on every play. And 
when you have those guys, it's hard to get interior doubles. And the interior doubles that Michigan has gotten this year have been so effective that they've been deforming everybody else's defense. So when Illinois was able to avoid that, then you start getting in situations where you need Blake Horn to make plays. You're able to shut down a bunch of guys. You're able to prevent that just constant second and six, second and five disaster zone. Now, if Ohio State wants to run a 4-3, that's different know from what illinois was doing right and unless you have like serious dudes on the interior it kind of feels like whoever is getting that double is going in the wrong direction fast enough that the linebackers are going to have to make difficult choices yeah and they don't have serious dudes in defense attack i don't think there's anyone at ohio state would tell you that they have a lot of players but they don't really have uh a dude at this point in time and they rotate so much through all those guys because of it. So Taryn Vincent plays the most there, but after that you have all these names. I mean, Ty Hamilton, I guess is the nominal other starter, but Tyleek Williams, Jaron cage, uh, Michael Hall jr. There's a number of players. They rotate in and out. It was never a point at which I was watching him. And like every time a defensive tackle did something, I had to rewatch it over and over again to see the number because there was no way to tell which guy it was. It just <laughs> the the players change, but you know, it's kind of just the same story. So that's the big matchup for me. I mean, no question. Michigan's offensive success has started with the offensive line and in particular that uh, terrifying interior offensive line. And that this is their final test in terms of that on the defensive tackles. Now they're, their edge guys are uh, pretty pretty talented players. I don't think there's like a superstar there at this point in time. And some teams did have some success uh, caving in the edge a little bit. And I think there might be some success there when Michigan goes with Honigford and uh, if Schoonmaker is playing, uh, trying to, to push that around. But obviously, they'll try to do the work with the tackles. The linebackers have improved relative to last season in the run game. I mean, if they didn't, that'd be very alarming. <laughs> but uh, I don't think there is a uh, Butkus Award type player here. So Tommy Eichenberg's had a very nice season. I think he's a good player. He's a guy that when you keep him clean, he runs really fast and he smacks a guy. Steel Chambers, I still have some questions about. That There were some times where he was getting lost. He didn't know where the hole was. He was getting stuck on blocks. I think there is a possibility at, at that position. So when you look at their run defense, the biggest problem in assessing their their schedule and what they've done this season is there's just no analogous team to Michigan on their schedule, right? The closest one is Illinois, and they didn't play Illinois. And so you look at Penn State, they have really talented running backs, but not really the sort of overall comprehensive run game with talent on the interior offensive line that Michigan does. And Maryland is a passing offense. So right. there's just not a game where you can really look at it and say, yeah, this, this team – is a, is a good comp, and this is what happened. Now, when they did play it's Northwestern, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well so... I mean, they did yeah, play so... Wisconsin, but yeah. Wisconsin isn't Wisconsin this year, and they were like Graham Mertz throws the world's worst interception on their first drive when they're down fourteen nothing. Yeah. By the end of the first quarter, they're down twenty eight nothing. So that's a game that was marred by score effects. That right. You can't really <sighs> extrapolate a ton from it. Now that Northwestern game that Seth mentioned, I clipped some of it. Very strange game with the wind and occasional rain, Northwestern not interested in throwing the ball whatsoever. They're dialing up the Wildcat all the time. They're just doing a lot of very predictable stuff that should be easy for a, 
hyper-talented defense like Ohio State to sniff out, and they had some trouble with it throughout the game. But especially in that first half, they got shoved around a little bit. Northwestern targeted the edges pretty well. Their zone reads worked really well. That's something I've seen this whole year. Uh, Talia rushed for a touchdown last week on one. So the mix of going outside, going inside, gave Ohio State some trouble. Penn State had some wins. Maryland didn't. And Ohio State, again, they've they've crunched a lot of teams on the ground. But those two, Penn State to some degree, and especially Northwestern, those are the ones that stand out and you look at and you say, hmm, there might be a real possibility here that Michigan can push these guys around and, and get consistent gains on the ground. So JT Tuimailoa. It's Tuimoloao. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Tuimoloao. Tuimoloao. Yeah. yeah. JT Tuimoloao uh, had the world's greatest game against Penn State. <laughs> Two interceptions, forced another interception from the defensive, but single-handedly wins that game. And when you go over his grading, you're you're just seeing a guy who's pretty good, not like Bosa, not like Chase Young. I think he'll be there next year, perhaps, but not quite yet because his run defense, I had some questions about, and he's not a, an edge rusher that is sort of single-handedly terrifying. Ohio State's had a good sack rate. They've gotten pressure. They have a lot of talented edge rushers, but I don't think that, I think that it's kind of the harmony of them all, that they come together and because there's so much talent, they get it done. Each individual guy is not a, a top of the draft guy at this point in time. And Zach Harrison is projected a second round range, kind of like in the Mike Morris range for NFL purposes. And we'll see how Jack Sawyer, as well as a, as a five-star and Tui Moloau as well. Those two guys are, are super talented players. They'll develop more in the coming years. But right now, there is still some questions about them on a down-to-down basis. There's nobody here that I'm sitting there and saying, you know, you got to structure the whole game plan around. You can't let this guy destroy you. Now, if you're going to throw screens and your screen is going through the area <laughs> of JT Tui Moloau, you got to be careful because he <sighs> is tall, he is long, he is athletic, he is leapy, and Clifford throws those two picks. And yeah, it's great play jumping up there and snatching it. But <laughs> if he's standing in your line of vision when you're throwing that screen, and, and by the way, Penn State threw like 25 screens in that game. Extremely <laughs> frustrating game planning, but... You got to be careful about that. Now, he is athletic enough to drop into coverage. That was his third interceptor. His second that he had, his third he was involved in that game. He drops into coverage. He's covering Catron Allen, the running back. That play in particular is very frustrating because Ohio State drops eight into coverage, which they do from time to time. Clifford has two guys on third and three past the sticks open on the sidelines, and he throws to a running back two yards short of the sticks, who's got Tui Moloau right behind him and reads it all the way, dives in front. Again, super athletic play, super cool play. But again, I, I found myself saying, you know, Clifford, come on, man. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. So they, they haven't been super blitzy this year, and I think it's for the most part they've been able to, to rotate through their edges, and because they've got so much talent between the two starters, plus Sawyer, plus Javante Jean-Baptiste, they're able to get pressure overall against a lot of teams. Will they be able to in this game? Not sure. Uh, they might have to blitz more. Harrison's PFF pass rush grades are really no different than last season in which he was contained by Michigan's tackles pretty well in, in that game. We'll see with Tui Moloau. I think for him, I really have the question of there's a huge range of outcomes, and that's why I made him the danger man, because I see a scenario where it's kind of a disappointment and Tui Moloau isn't there yet and he's getting shut off. 
I also see a scenario where he runs wild and he puts it all together again, like Penn State, and he's just a havoc machine. And there's a there's a wide range of scenarios here for for him in the pass rush. So the secondary looks like kind of a tale of two positions where the safeties are good um, and they have a potential star, maybe two who are still developing, but you can see them really getting there. And then cornerbacks have been beset by injury all year when on the field, they've been good, but not great. I think it'd be pretty fair to say that the cornerback situations for both Michigan and Ohio state are pretty similar. Yeah, I, I think that I, I would have to look at what Michigan's PFF corner grades are because Ohio states are kind of in that fine range it's it's been up and down because of the injuries so you have Denzel Burke back he was a starter last year in the game I don't know if he's gotten a lot better this year frankly um he has had some injuries so I think that's probably a a factor in that he's got plenty of talent uh but I still see him get beat from time to time um like it's not something where I sit there and I say this guy is a vintage Ohio State corner right if you think about 2019 where they had Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett Mm-hmm. or go back further into the mid-2010s when they had Eli Apple and Marshawn Lattimore and on and on and on. It's not that right now. Cameron Brown is a veteran. I think he's a fifth-year player. He missed a lot of time. Now he's back healthy. He's fine. The big uh, big worry for them is if any of those guys have to leave because J.K. Johnson, who had to play when they were out, uh, really bad. And Jair Brown is a true freshman. There's just not a ton of depth at this position. So they need those guys healthy, and they are healthy. But obviously, if something were to happen and a guy leaves for a little bit, then that's an area I would look at. Their nickel is technically a safety, but he's a nickel. Um, Tanner McAllister transferred from Oklahoma State, who came with Jim Knowles. uh, Fine. He got toasted by Rekim Jarrett in the Maryland game. Not sure how applicable that is to Michigan for obvious reasons, but... All these guys, I, I watch them and I say, yeah, in most plays, they're in good coverage. But I've seen him get beat plenty of times, too, to say this is not really lockdown, shutdown, vintage Ohio State corners. Now, one thing notable, they play cover one, but they play off on cover one. They staple these corners five to ten yards down the field, giving him a pretty sizable cushion. And that is something that intrigues me a lot for this game. And how Jim Knowles is going to approach it. Because what do we know about Michigan's wide receivers recently? Well, they've been having trouble getting separation from time to time. They went up against a guy like Devin Witherspoon, who's playing you know, up at the line, pressing him, etc. If Ohio State is content to play their corners off and tell Cornelius Johnson, you can run a five-yard, you know, five-yard route and sit down, and we'll give you that to you, I think Michigan would be totally fine with that because J.J. McCarthy's been accurate underneath this season, and they're probably not going to need to dissect Ohio State through the air. If they are, the game's in trouble. <laughs> they're going to look more to connect drives together through the air, and if they're just seeding five, seven yards underneath, Michigan should be content to take that all day long. And I would tell Knowles, play your corners up and, and test Michigan's struggling wide receivers. But he didn't do that against various teams, and I've seen times I clipped third and eight and the and the corners are stapled eight yards off and dropping behind the sticks and i don't know what they're super scared of i guess just being burned over the top and if they're rolling a safety down to stop michigan's run then maybe they're terrified of that i don't know it would be going against tendency if they played them up but it's something i will be watching (laughs) pretty much as soon as the game starts well one 
thing that sort of complicates analysis here from Michigan's perspective is that their passing game has been janky, to <laughs> say the least. Was wondering which adjective you're going to come up with just now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a situation where sometimes J.J. lays in a great pass and then it's dropped. Sometimes J.J. has an opportunity and he misses. Sometimes J.J. has an open guy and he doesn't see it. And all of these things have kind of fed into each other to create a situation where, you know, Michigan's coming off, I think, five games. And in four of those games, their yards per attempt has been in the six to 6.5 range. And to say that's not going to get it done against Ohio State, I think, is something that doesn't really even need to be said. So, <clears throat> like, what, I mean, to me, it kind of feels like this could be something like the Rutgers game. Where in the Rutgers game, Michigan had a lot of opportunities to make plays downfield. Guys weren't wide open, but there were opportunities to get something done. And then for various reasons, they did not get done. And honestly, this feels more like a thing that is not up to Ohio State. Ohio State's corners, as you mentioned, they play off. They're not they're not Devin Witherspoon, who's an All-American. They don't have any of those guys in the secondary. So Bell's going to be open. Johnson's going to be open. They're not going to be open by much, but they're going to be able to get some things where it's like, can I make a contested catch? Can J.J. McCarthy make a difficult throw in a tight window? And so far, the answer has been no. That has not been a thing that's happened. But they've been close. It just hasn't actually happened. So it feels like if they get the Rutgers performance again, where they catch three out of 13 balls that are ones and twos, they lose. There's going to be a lot of twos in this game, and there haven't been a lot of twos all season. Tough, contested catches that aren't circus catches. And they're going to have to play at a level we haven't seen them play. And are they? I don't know. But I predicted Ohio State in this game largely because I don't trust them. That's the big question. And it goes without saying that McCarthy is going to need to play better and the wide receivers will need to be play better. The other question I have is what does Michigan have saved up for this? Because you have, I was looking at the SP plus numbers. So after the... Uh, Penn State game, Michigan, I believe, was eighth in offense. Now they're 28th. Now, part of that is some JJ struggles, the receivers not catching balls, but part of it too is the game plans have been dulled down a little bit, a little bit more vanilla because Michigan hasn't respected some of the opponents they've played since Penn State. There's probably a lot of stuff being saved up for this. And what's in the bag? What's coming out? How effective is it? And I think Michigan's success in this game will come down to, are they the 28th best offense in SP plus, or are they the eighth best offense in SP plus? One thing I'd say about this is there are different rating systems that value different things. Yeah. And SP plus has a strong bias towards explosion. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that that's what SP plus is. FEI has a bias towards success rate consistency. And Michigan is 10th in FEI offense. So there's a big gap between like the philosophies of what is possible in college football. And I kind of feel like, given what we've seen from Michigan, that I think the FEI take is probably closer to the truth because they have a very unusual ability to just go army on people, go service academy. And uh, especially against a defense that doesn't seem like it's entirely equipped to defeat you in the ways that Michigan has been defeated by opposing defenses briefly. Um, so I'm a little bit more optimistic than the SP plus number, I think. 
It's, but yeah, I, I just want to point out that like this is a little different defense we played. Every other defense we played this year, and just the way the schedule worked out and the teams we played, everyone else is kind of a force it inside kind of team. And Ohio State, like their buzzword is spill and kill. Like their whole way of defending is their their linemen are going to jump into weird gaps. They like to uh, pull their jack, which is uh, Tuimolo. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get it right. Tuimolo. Tuimolo. Ow. Uh, off there the line go. and actually use him as like an extra linebacker uh, sometimes and like they have this like whole three three five thing and that's a three three five way of thinking right they want to surprise you in gaps they want to have you like be very hard to read ahead of time and Michigan is going to you know Michigan's going to go two tight ends they're going to push that gap over they're going to run their receivers out and you know I that we haven't seen how this is going to work yet can Michigan sustain that if they can't identify their blocks. Because I think part of what makes Michigan that kind of offense that you're talking about, where they just have success after success for six yards, is that they they know where the guys are. They know who's blocking whom. And sometimes they've had ident- identification problems. And that might be one weakness that Ohio State could exploit just because we haven't seen a defense this way. Or it could be the opposite. It could be Michigan just cracks yeah. the hell out of them, right? Well, also, like, fitting issues for Ohio state. Cause they haven't seen a competent rush offense like this. Mm-hmm. And then that brings me to perhaps the game's X factor, which is Colston Loveland. <laughs> right. I mean, he's, Fair. he's, yeah. he is, he has proven himself a reasonably good Jake butt level blocker as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And what we have seen from him as a receiver, especially in the most recent Illinois game against a very good defense was they can give him go win routes. They can give him like you got a safety, go go win that route, and he does. And he's that kind of like magical Notre Dame tight end who I have loathed for ten <laughs> years and envied because it's like how do you have Michael Meyer and then the other guys? It's just this nonstop Tyler parade. Eifert. Yes, just yes. all these guys who are equally effective inside and outside. And I think you can probably put Colson Loveland against one of those corners and give him a go win. And you can bring him in and you can have him block one of those safeties and it might go the, the right way. And if Schoonmaker is back, he also provides some of that element. He's not nearly the dynamic downfield guy that Colson Loveland promises to be. But if there's one guy who I think is going to shoot onto the scene and make a name for himself in this game from Michigan's point of view is Loveland because he's almost there. You can see it. You can mm-hmm. see it coming. And like, this is a game for guys coming kind of out of the woodwork, right? Not completely out of the woodwork, but if you're focused on Blake Corum, you're focused on Ronnie Bell, like who's number three? Colson Loveland. Maybe, maybe it's a Cornelius Johnson game. Maybe it's an Andrew Anthony game. Or but... Diamond Edwards, depending on health, like that's another guy who, because you're you're talking about the way that they play defense, and they're um, not really built to get weird matchups, right? And what is he? Is he's just a, a walking matchup problem? Because you you could have the same guys and go heavy, or you could go five wide. And Donovan Edwards is a real receiver threat out there, and who's he going to get matched on? I, probably one of their safeties. Um, but like you, if you can mess around with them that much. It, it, that's the thing about this game. Like We think that after the whole season, you'd know who these teams are, but neither one of them has faced a team like the other yet. No. I mean, that's the thing. Is like You look at Ohio State's schedule, and it's like, 
And you look at Michigan's schedule, and it's the same thing. We're using Northwestern as a, as a comp for Michigan, like QED. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it does kind of feel like the most comparable games are, you know, that have any sort of difference in performance are Maryland, mm-hmm. Penn State, and, you know, everything else is like, okay, how bad did you beat Michigan State's head in? Eh. How bad did you beat Indiana's head in? Eh. But, like, two games against the better teams in the division that Michigan and Ohio State both played, felt like Michigan had the better outcomes there. And I guess that has to be something that encourages special teams. They got a great punter like everybody else in the Big Ten. Their kicker is very good. They haven't done anything uh, in returns. They have blocked two punts this year. Uh, So Michigan is going to have to watch out for that. But I don't think you can look at the special teams units here and really say much of anything either way in terms of like, I expect this to be an advantage. So the last thing I want to point out. There's been some turnover voodoo in this rivalry over the past 10 to 15 years. <laughs> It'd be kind of cool if that reverted. And, you know, Michigan, last year we were sitting here saying they probably need to win the turnover battle. They didn't. Uh, they mm-hmm. made the lone turnover in the game and they still won. But feels like at some point after years of Josh Metellus dropped interceptions and other things, maybe one goes our way. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get the refs to call our way, too, this time <laughs> in Columbus. I, nice try. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, the things out of Michigan's right. control are impossible to preview. <laughs> I had Ohio State 32-28. What about you, Seth? 42-27. And I'm not kidding anymore. I'm not. I'm not. Michigan's going to win right. this game. I guarantee okay. it. All right, Seth. I mean, Alex. <laughs> uh, Take Michigan. I've been the last few days I was overdosing on hopium and having to pull myself back about uh, this game being in Columbus and the history and the 20 years and on and on. I still lean more towards Ohio State narrowly, but I believe I believe in the path. That's what I'll say. All right, let's take a break and get to the part of the podcast no one's going to listen to. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash Blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, 
website or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs, original geeks of programmable communication. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. All right, welcome back to MGO Radio 8.11. I think that's probably right. Sure. Uh, now we talk about the Illinois game and what we learned about it offensively. Uh, this was the most interesting defense I've charted. They go uh, cover one the whole time, and they often add that safety into the box to go full cover zero just before the snap. Very difficult to to get through. Michigan did have a number of counters based on the man coverage that they run a ton of. So a heavy RPS game. Like, I think it was plus 17, minus 15, plus two, came out barely to the good. Uh, and then you just kind of look at missed opportunities. You have the gas drop, you have the Wilson drop, you have the Andrew Anthony drop, and then you have JJ McCarthy either making some bad decisions or just missing guys. And kind of feel like I don't know what to expect this weekend because the preternaturally adept McCarthy we've seen earlier in the season has kind of given way to one who looks more like you'd expect a second year player. And I just kind of go back to the idea if like guys make catches on three pretty easy catches and then one ridiculous holding call doesn't get made. JJ McCarthy has like 120 yards of offense and one more attempt and everybody feels completely different about his performance. And then when I do the UFR and I'm like, eh, he was just okay. People get mad at me the other direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think what's clear is it's it's almost there. It's not there, but they're not that far away. They just need to take advantage of the opportunities that they have. And I do feel like on some level that it's not real. Yeah. Does that make that like, sense? Yeah. Or that... Well, I so one thing I looked at was uh, offensive performances the week before Ohio State under Harbaugh, because Harbaugh always has 
a pretty good game plan for Ohio State. I don't, I don't think there's a single game we've had where we're like, oh, that was, you know, they didn't have some stuff, right? Uh, and the offense seems to bog down, even if, like, you know, last year they scored 59 against Maryland, but that was, like, special teams and uh, returns, and, or, like, the defense was getting uh, pick sixes, right? So it was the offense was actually not really clicking that game. I wonder if there's a thing to Michigan just doesn't practice a whole lot of the stuff that they were going to run for Illinois the week that like the week before Ohio State like I mean I don't necessarily think that was the factor here because they put up 376 yards offense they don't have Donovan Edwards they uh-huh. don't have Blake Corum for the second half of this game they lose either three or seven points on the fumble that be- is because of Corum's injury they lose another seven points on a flat drop from Andrew Anthony mm-hmm. like I, it doesn't it, it didn't feel like a game where it was like, we don't have to care about Illinois. We're just not going to put any effort into it. Cause they really did have a number of plays that, that were extremely good against the style of defense that, that Illinois runs. So I kind of felt like it, that wasn't the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue was a series of injuries that kind of got Michigan down to their fifth string, uh, fifth string running back at a key moment and just guys not making plays. And I don't think much of that can be attributed to the fact that the Ohio State game is next week. One thing can is that's Blake Corum running out of bounds on what's very possibly like a 95-yard oh screen touchdown. And and you know what? Even that, like the the, the the yardage would have looked good for McCarthy. And like I know it doesn't really make a difference in things, but like it it does, right? Like we people look at yardages afterwards to to create their narratives. And he wasn't the only time he did that. He did it twice in this game. He did the first time was much more explainable because mm-hmm. it's like, ah, I don't know if he's actually got any ability to, to get an appreciable number of yards past what he actually got, but you'd like <laughs> to see him try. I I leave it to Michigan fans to have a play where the quarterback, you know, lays himself out on a block to save the running back. And we're like, yeah, that's okay. Well, and then we got to go back to one thing that did not really show up in this game very much. And that is, post-snap reads mm-hmm. you go back to the indiana game you go back to the penn state game he's getting seven eight nine att- opportunities to make a meaningful rush a mesh read in this game and it was maybe four here i didn't chart a single rpo sometimes mm-hmm. i miss those if they're runs because I, i'm not actually checking what the wide receivers are doing but at no point did he pull for an rpo and the zone reads were poor so he made two mistakes on must keeps. And then when he did keep it, it wasn't his fault that he didn't get yards on the first one. It was just Bredesen missing a block. But then on the second one, I do think there's an issue from, from Ronnie Bell not identifying the most dangerous guy to go get. But then he does have Wilson on, on his man. And instead of doing what a running back would do, which is extend to the sideline, threaten, and then mm-hmm. explode up in the gap, get seven, eight yards, he just extends it to the sideline and goes down. So I kind of feel like we talk about Michigan as this grinding deep offense that practices all the stuff that nobody practices anymore and is good at stuff that nobody's good at defending anymore. And I do think a flip side of that is if you run your quarterback six times against Penn state and then put him in the garage for five games, when you try to pull it back out, it's not going to work that well. Now, they got to do it against Ohio State, right? Yeah. Like, well, and they've been practicing a, it again. They've been practicing Ohio State plays more than other plays. 
I mean, there's there, there's that, but there's also like, okay, this defensive end is committed to the running back. I need to get, I need to get. Yeah, this. yeah, and and live reps. But I, I, I wonder if it's if we're making too big of a deal out of that because I can't remember in Ohio State games where he was missing reads or like. I mean, this has been a problem for Michigan quarterbacks for a long time. It's not just McCarthy, right? Well, so like there was this kind of like early part of the season where they weren't running a ton of zone reads, mm-hmm. but the zone reads they were running were really effective because McCarthy was always making the right decision. And that has devolved significantly at this point. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what that is. It might be that they've told him if it's a tie, hand it off, uh-huh. which is a, which is a bad metric. Cause it's never a tie. Right. Because a tie is like, I'm punting on this. Like, no, you don't punt, you make a decision. Mm-hmm. And if that decision is based on what that defensive end has been doing the whole game and it's chased the running back. Well, sometimes you got to pull that. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I mean, you go back to the Penn State game when quarterback run game was absolutely part of the game plan, not just like something we're showing or using on the side, and and that was a huge difference in that game where like you know just crack. It was it was it was the difference. Yeah, yeah. It was in terms of like what Michigan's offense looked like in that game versus other games. It's we have 418 rushing yards, and it should have been more if we could have blocked anybody on J.J. McCarthy's runs that should have gone to the end zone. Yeah. So, I mean, reincorporating that, making that part of your rush game just takes pressure off that passing game that I feel Michigan needs to take some pressure off of. But I don't know if they can do it because we didn't really get a very good look at it mm-hmm. in this game. I mean, it didn't It didn't look like it was something that was going to perform. I don't know. Like they're, they're, they're young kids. There's all kinds of things going on. And I don't want to put like some sort of you know sports talk radio mouth breather statement on it like it's going to be like ah they're never going to do this or anything but i just had this trepidation about how it looks going in and that was probably my main takeaway from the illinois game in relation to the ohio state game other than the idea that maybe having edwards and quorum is good it's good i like it yeah it's good to have what did you see on the other side of the ball so there were about 69 plays, nice, and uh, out of those, Illinois ran 27 different formations, including six with covered players, different covered players every time, 18 different motions um, out of 10 variations, 10 pre-staff shifts, uh, four different personnel groupings, uh, including one with a 6-0-L, a scripted tempo drive, 12 RPOs, nine variants of those, stretch zone, which they've only run a couple times this year, dart, which is a play we almost never see, counter tray, which is, you know, a staple split zone duo belly package that we hadn't really seen from them power i mean, still going zone reads live and fake rpos up the wazoo cut blocking they emptied the drawer and michigan played a lot of backups played cover zero when they were you know had to get them off the field and other than that seemed like they were practicing for ohio state and i know that's a very hot take but there's no other explanation for sitting in cover two shell against illinois is there yeah, I mean, that is something that really stood out is that they had two guys back the whole time and they were just like asking their front six to to make plays. And, you know, Mozzie Smith's a good player, but when he's being doubled off the ball and your linebacker is making the bad choice where uh-huh. it's like, which of these gaps do I need to fill? And that's just a tough way to live because Mich- Illinois is able to double both defensive tackles most of the game. Mm-hmm. And you saw Chase Brown downshift just wait for things to happen and then as soon as they happen he'd burst through a gap and to me that was the equivalent of michigan playing like iowa played michigan yeah 
And yeah, there's no much. real there's no real need to do that against Illinois, but well, that's and, what they chose. And on their their big runs both times, we had a safety not even just playing cover two, where like your eyes are in the backfield or eyes are on the quarterback. They were playing cone, which is when you're basically just doubling the outside receiver. And it's like this is this is not something that they looked at uh, Illinois and said, okay, we're going to need Illinois' wide receivers. Uh, you know, we need to get our cornerbacks help for those guys over the top. And they were also playing the cornerbacks really soft. So Illinois got a whole bunch of underneath stuff, which is, you know, that's been part of the cover three defense for a while. But it was very weird to see out of a cover two man against Illinois. And again, I cannot possibly imagine this was a reaction to what they thought Illinois was going to do to them. Because you're playing a man down. And the way that they, the way you could beat Ohio State is exactly that, right? You save your safeties for the receivers and make sure that your cornerbacks always have somewhere to go with it. And then your front can survive without that because Mike Morris is going to, if you want to try to pull against Mike Morris, he's going to meet you in the backfield. He's going to put your guy on the hash. And then you're just going to have this mess exactly where everybody's trying to pull to. When it's Jalen Harrell, you know, he's going to, put his shoulder in exactly where he's supposed to and get bopped out a yard because he's Jalen Harrell and he's 235 pounds. And then you're, you got a running lane. Um, so, I mean, what they did didn't make a lot of sense for what Illinois was going to do to them, but it also doesn't make a ton of sense if they thought that they could just, you know, win against Illinois and they were kind of right. Like they got moved a few times. They got pushed down the field, but they were pretty good in the red zone except for, the one drive, um, you know, I, I don't want to get into a whole refs thing with uh, Bielema, but, like, their two touchdown drives were – that was what broke them, right? Like, the Michigan was surviving until, like, some guy got a huge hold and that broke a guy loose. So, like, you know, I, I don't want to say it was because of the refs. I want to say that Michigan wasn't entirely wrong to say that, you know, we could hold these guys to 13 points with the structure that we had. All right, let's take a break. Come back one last segment before Armageddon. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself use them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me. Kind of an annual tradition. Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue! Go Blue! NMLS number 116. 1358 Equal Housing Lender. 
Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Welcome to EBGO Radio 8.11. We have a little bit of time before we have to get out of here, and I've decided to use it to rant about the U.S. men's national team. Surprise! (laughs) What? People ask me about the World Cup content. I can't do it during the season, so I'm going to provide what little takes I have in this time. So they're coming off a 1-1 tie against Wales, a 0-0 tie against uh, England, in which eh, three of the four halves they've actually performed very well in. And... In this most recent game, Berhalter came out with a 4-4-2 that seemed to keep uh, England sort of confused. I do think that England did not have any desire to spend a lot of energy pressing. Mm-hmm. And if they got down, they were going to be like, all right, well, we're down. But all they, they, they're they into the last game, and all they need is a draw against Wales. It felt more like it was an easy path to the final third for Michigan, not Michigan. God damn it. Ah, <laughs> the United I States. Just did that usually too in the break, so. But just in terms of what the team looked like, you move Weston McKinney out to the right. He has a lot of really productive interchanges. They out XG uh, England by, I think a two to one ratio is like about one to about a half. And that felt about right. So you outplay one of the, world's best teams at this point and then you go on twitter and people are complaining about not bringing in geo reina until 80 minutes i'm like okay that's like 10 minutes of geo reina is that really what we want to focus on mm-hmm. in this point in the game is that what we really want to focus on after the u.s has put up a really good performance i don't think that makes any sense so they unlocked Polistic. haji wright had a good game um, just everybody looked a lot more energized than they were against Wales. And I think um, they're in a decent spot. Now, Iran is going to bunker because mm-hmm. all they need is a draw. Michigan uh, did it again. <laughs> United, United States is a win or go home situation. Right. So going into the Iran game, I feel like this is a game where you take Tim Whale off. 
you put in Giorena because you need to break down a bunkered in mm-hmm. opponent. Way is very vertical, super fast, really good player, but this might not be the best game for him. And you want to get the guys who are the best in the ball, most intricate playmakers, guys who are going to be able to put together the patterns of play to, to break down a, a bunch of guys who are just not going to leave their penalty area probably the whole game. Mm-hmm. Not something the United States has been good at this cycle. And I don't know if that's Burhalter or the fact that most of their uh, players are quite young and they haven't really been able to play together. Like they've been in and out of the lineup, just a thing where they don't have a whole lot of understanding with each other. But it's a situation where you've put yourself in a good enough spot to be a team that's not England, they're not Brazil, they're Iran. Mm-hmm. And win or go home, so let's win. Uh, you know, question from dumb soccer person. It looked like for a young team, USA knew where they were supposed to be, had a guy like ready to back up their back up his buddy if he gets in the wrong spot. Like it looked a lot more organized than a bunch of college age guys. Well, I mean they they're not just college age guys. They're guys who are at big 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 programs. So it's a, a situation where I feel like this get, get a damn goal. <laughs> get a damn goal. All right. Yeah. Makes it all night long. She makes a ruska, ruska, vodka, vodka, singing this crazy song. <laughs> la, da, da, da. Single drop. He ain't got.